Welcome to the Global Band Group, a podcast that brings you stories, news, and great guests from across the world of wind, brass, marching band, and drum corps. My name is Keith Kelly, and I'm a band director from the west coast of Ireland. Each episode, I sit down with band musicians and directors from across the world to talk about their stories, their bands, and how they're making an impact in their communities. Before we start, you can find out more about the podcast and the people and stories that we feature over at bandsofireland.com forward slash the global band room. And you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at the global band room. And now on with the show. Welcome, welcome back to the band room. This week, I am delighted to be talking to Barry Hauser. He is the Associate Director of Bands and Director of Athletic Bands at the University of Illinois. And we're going to be talking about the university's uh, connection to Ireland. We're going to be talking about marching band versus concert band and that ever present debate and about Barry's own career as well. But first, some news. So one of the most successful virtual marching band competitions last year was the Malaysian International Virtual Band Championships and it's back again for 2021 and you have plenty of time to register and start preparing for this. It's brought to you by the Malaysian Association of Marching Arts and it's sanctioned by WOMSBY, the World Association of Marching Show Bands. There are a number of different categories, marching band, concert band, ensemble and solo. There are junior, senior and open divisions and you can also choose to do it as a single shot video or compilation video like many bands around the world have done. So no matter what size of band you are, no matter what style of group you are or individual, there's there's a competition for you to be part of here. So early registration has already started for that and that is closed on the 15th of April. Final registration is the 30th of June. Video submissions by the 8th of August and then the final presentation and results are going to be on August 31st. So there's plenty of time here, lots of time to get your students involved or your band or you yourself maybe. Now, WOSBY, the World Association of Symphonic Bands and Ensembles, has announced their third international composition contest. The deadline for the submission of your application form and full score and supporting materials is October 1st. Now, there's three categories. There's grade 1 to 2, grade 3 to 4, and grade 5 to 6. And three finalists will be selected from each of those categories for their pieces to be performed at the 2022 Prague Conference. Um, And winners will be announced at the end of that event. So it's a great opportunity to have your music performed on an international stage. Head over to wasby.org to find out all of the details on that. Now, I mentioned it on the last show, but if you're not already following the hashtag BeBandReady on Instagram, Twitter, and even Facebook, it's an international campaign that is designed to help inspire and rejuvenate growth in our marching arts and in the performing arts more generally. Simply by following the hashtag alone, you're going to find amazing material posted there by DCI, Ultimate Drill Book, Stamber Uniforms, the whole industry is getting behind this. So encourage your students and your band members to follow the hashtag. And if you would like, you can start posting using that hashtag too as well, just to celebrate your band and to be part of that global community that are all trying to get back into their band rooms right now. To find out more, you can head over to bebandready.com. 
And now over to my interview with Barry Helzer of the Marching Illinois. So I'm delighted to be joined today by Barry Helzer, who is the Associate Director of Bands and Director of Athletic Bands at the University of Illinois and, and the famous uh, Marching Illinois. Uh, Barry, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for the invitation. It is so great to be with you. And thanks for all that you're doing for, for music education, not only in Ireland, but around the world. I appreciate that. I mean, I, I say to, to everyone, I just I'm just a band fan, you know, <laughs> uh, and it's 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 great to have the opportunity to to talk to people um, about about something that we all love. Um, we had the opportunity to connect because of the recent St. Patrick's Festival virtual festival, um, and uh, and and the Marching Illinois has a a famous history of being involved with the St. Patrick's Festival here in in Dublin. I mean, that might be a really good place to to kind of kick off this conversation then then Barry. You've you've actually led the band here in in Ireland, but it but it has a a longer history than than even you have with the with the band. Isn't that right? Yeah, that that is. And I, I wish I wish I could take credit for that start because it is such a such an amazing experience that I look forward to every every three or four years when we travel to Ireland. But uh, it started with one of my predecessors, Gary Smith, back in 1992. And I'm not quite sure of the actual story, but what has been shared with me <laughs> in, in uh, passing down verbal folk- folklore, if you will, uh, it has been um, that there was some communication between uh, I think at that time, what was the beginnings of the St. Patrick's Festival and uh, wanting to have an American collegiate band uh, presence in the parade. And so the University of Illinois uh, was asked to be that band. And I think at that time, you know, resources were quite different for, for everyone. And uh, majority of the band had their way paid to do that. And um, what started off as a one-time event of traveling to Ireland became something that we now do as part of our tradition with at the University of Illinois and for the Marching Illini every three to four years. Uh, so 1992, and um, this will be, you know, we're going to look forward to, you know, hopefully optimistically <laughs> attending in 2022. And that will be my third tour to, to Ireland with the Marching Illini. Um, so overall for the marching Illini, this will be the ninth trip wow. to Ireland. So, um, it, it, yeah. that must be the record. I, I imagine that's definitely the record. I know there's quite a few other bands that are starting to do rotation in the last 10, 15 years, but a nine, ha, a nine has to be the record. I, I think I would, um, I would think so. Yeah. And it's what, what has been great with that Keith is, I think because of, you know, how our profession works and how we talk to one another, it's such a small world, even though we're, you know, spanned across the entire world. I've had so many um, of our colleagues contact us just to say, hey, tell me about this experience and why why do you keep doing this? And, <laughs> you know, my, my first reaction is, of course, you know, it's a beautiful country. But I think now that I've attended so many, so many times myself, um, it's always the people. The people are so kind, so welcoming, and that's that's the go-to. And when you look at taking college students or high school students anywhere, as we know, you want to find a very safe place, a very welcoming place, and that's something that Ireland continues to to provide. So just just an amazing experience, and I want to make sure all of our students have that opportunity. It, it's so funny, you know, um, the Ireland as the band trip has become 
like it's actually become a meme nowadays you know where you see the pie chart and it's yeah. like reasons for joining band it's because i love the instrument because i love the composer you know <laughs> or the conductor or, but but there's this like 80 percent slice of the pie which is because we go to ireland yes yes <laughs> and, and marching illinois has has really been at the front of of creating that sort of expectation that this is something that u.s marching bands can do uh it's it's amazing you know many people think of the irish st patrick's festival now and they think of the one they see on tv these days right yeah. and and actually in a lot of the promo videos it's marching illinois that are that are featured in it yeah um but actually back in 1992 this was st patrick's festival st patrick's parade in dublin was actually quite small uh compared to a lot of the u.s parades mm-hmm. um you know new york and chicago and all of these huge parades and and actually bringing the u.s bands to ireland has has you know and there's 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 a number of of uh, you know your pre- predecessor of course and and a number of irish people working in the industry here that that really trailblazed that john cox i i have to make a mention of john yeah. who was sort of a, a big part of making this happen um over the years and what has happened is we now have a world-class festival that is synonymous with marching band which yeah. is amazing and so a lot of credit has to go to to your band and to, you, to your university for for blazing that trail as i say yeah it, well it's it's a great honor like i said and you know it's an experience uh, my my wife and she she loves this trip as well but she often says, so are we going to go somewhere different this next time around? I said, absolutely not. I said, if we're going to travel anywhere different, it's going to be in between those years of going to Ireland. <laughs> Make sure that we still have this experience. And, and like I said, it's it's a great personal connection that, you know, have created so many friendships and relationships over the years. Uh, but but again, it goes back to, again, our students, right, of, of making sure that they have this experience, because let's let's be honest, we often coin the phrase, you know, performance of a lifetime and, you know, lifetime experience. And we, we do that a lot in, in our band world. But but mm-hmm. truly, it, it really is. It, it really is a, a lifetime experience to travel uh, with with your with your band, it could be a concert band or or a marching band, and of course, you know our travel party is typically about four hundred uh, individuals. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll generally bring about three hundred students and another side trip of a hundred fans, family members, and and alums. Um, and it's just a really great experience to to travel to to a great country with great people, and uh, it, it really strengthens our bond as as a university and uh, as an organization. So thank you to you, thank you to so many people in Ireland that make this experience just really world class. Well, uh, as I say, it's it's great that you've sort of. Uh... Uh, set the standard for so many other bands that you know uh, have have come since and uh, long may it continue because it's a great we're so lucky here in Ireland that we have this opportunity once a year to see all these great American bands that have 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 come to Ireland Uh, you know Marching Illinois of course one of them but the you know the amount of amazing bands that we've had the privilege to have here in Ireland over the years Uh, without the festival we wouldn't have that and without Marching Illinois that wouldn't have become a become a thing. Over the years, I've had the pleasure to host many visiting international bands, choirs and orchestras here in Ireland, alongside my own bands and groups. Every one of these events is exciting, and my favourite part of each exchange is seeing the musicians, 
kids and adults interact with each other sharing their stories and experiences. If it wasn't for the accent, I'm not sure I could identify my own band kid sometimes. So when I got into the music travel business, I wanted to make sure I was working with a company that understood that these exchanges were at the heart of the experience and not just something to be ticked off an itinerary. I've been so fortunate to find not one but two companies, Celtic Horizon Tours in Ireland and Kaleidoscope Adventures in Florida. They share these values and they respect the ensembles and students that they work with. So whether you're trying to plan a domestic tour in the US with the highest of standards for ensuring your group is safe and healthy, or whether you're starting to plan for that international trip in 2022, you can contact me at keith at globalbandroom.com to start working with me and these world-class student travel teams. And while you're doing that, you're supporting the podcast and documentaries. Thank you. Let me talk a little bit about you, Barry, and, and find out a bit more about you. Because I, I know quite a bit about the Marching Illinois and definitely their, their connection here to, to Ireland, of course. But uh, I, I've only recently got to uh, be introduced to you. Tell me a little bit about your story. Uh, I see that you uh, grew up in Indiana. Yeah, yeah, I did. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but <laughs> it, it's just how life happened, right? <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, I was born in northern Indiana, uh, a pretty small town, you know, one of those small towns uh, that has a, a flashing light, not a lot of stoplights or anything like that. One post office, uh, one grocery store, and, and even that flashing light had a, an odd intersection of, of five entryways into that intersection, you know, compared to your normal four. Uh, so <laughs> it, it was, was a great place to grow up, but a really small town of maybe a thousand people maybe. Um, and, you know, uh, at least here in the States, uh, it's, it, that's, that's a pretty small town, uh, when you look at the scope of things. So yeah. Grew- and, and was music a big part of the, 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 the local school, the, the local area? Um, well, part of it, uh, part of it became that way. And, okay. you know, it was one of those things to where I was involved with a number of, of sports activities, uh, baseball, basketball, things like that. And, um, started playing the, the violin was the first instrument because they offered orchestra first, uh, didn't hmm. offer band until the next year. So started with violin. And after a year of that, um, uh, my, my parents really encouraged me to look at a band instrument. And I, 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 I have to question, uh, it must be because of my poor violin skills and the, the screeching that took place in the basement of our house that they wanted a different sound. <laughs> so uh, again, yeah, t- you know, coming from a music educator, I don't know if that's a good thing to admit or not. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're a band guy though, Barry, so yeah, it's okay. I'm a, I'm a band guy for sure. Found that out really early on. So, so what was your instrument? Well, with that, that next year, what was the instrument that you uh, gravitated towards? Like so many. I, I wanted to play percussion. I, I wanted to play <laughs> percussion, but I, I showed up to the band auditions too late in the in the scheme of things, and all the percussion spots were filled because they, at that time, that program used a formula to make sure that they didn't have just a, a drum and saxophone band or a drum saxophone <laughs> flute band. <laughs> so my second choice was was trumpet. Tried it out, and my band director really encouraged me. Hey, you know you're you're doing really well with this, so I think this is a great path for you. So still a little disappointed, uh, <laughs> but 
But, you know, once I got going, obviously, in hindsight, uh, so thankful and grateful for that opportunity. And, and thus the, the band career, if you will, really began, uh, even though I had been singing uh, a lot in, you know, church and things like that early on in life. So, yeah. And how did your parents feel about the switch from, uh, from, uh, from, from violin to trumpet? Was it, was it out of the frying pan and into the, in, into the fire? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they were much happier with the trumpet sounds <laughs> than the violin sounds. So I guess that was, uh, was, a, was a good change for, for everybody <laughs> in the household. <laughs> and you say you started off singing a lot then as well. It, it's something that I've I've seen a lot of um, early music educators talking about these days that that it's something that we're not doing enough with with young children. Um, I'm not sure whether that's anecdotal uh, or not, but um, we do seem to have a lot of kids coming into the beginning of music education without the same oral skills that they necessarily had. Again, I'm not sure whether there's been, and, and you might be able to say more to this, whether there's been studies done to that, but I know a lot of music educators feel that, feel passionately that that's not, that's something that we need to start reintroducing at home. Maybe Spotify and headphones have kind of <laughs> ruined some of this singing uh, yeah. that we used to do. Yeah, no, I would agree. And I think, you know, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think we, we can, we can pinpoint a couple things, right? You know, we look at Spotify and the headphones and the, the digital world that we live in is, is very different than the world that many of us grew up in. And, um, I think maybe to a certain extent too, uh, potentially music education has changed because of that digital world that we live in, that we, we are looking at iPad bands and we do boom whackers and we do, you know, all of these different musical things, which I think we're, we're trying to find that balance within music education of the, of the entertainment aspect of keeping kids engaged. But then are we sacrificing that, those oral skills that you talk about, you know, are we sacrificing those things that we used to have in the curriculum just to engage with with students at a very young age? And so I, I, I think it's a very true statement that we just don't have students coming in uh, from even the younger grades uh, into the orchestral, even the choral uh, and band programs like we used to that that can sing and have that that pitch center awareness in their head. So when we're looking for that partial, when we're playing horn and, you know, can't necessarily, can't necessarily hear that. It's, I think there's a big, big um, gap there compared to years past. And I, I think that's all repairable, but uh, it, 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 we've got to find that balance. And I think we've mm-hmm. got to, that's a difficult thing to strike. And so that's certainly not uh uh, talking down or negatively about any of our music educators out there, because uh, it is, it's a difficult balance of trying to find that keeping kids engaged when we've got them in our general music or our music classrooms. And, you know, those students that music may not be their thing. So how do you entertain them and keep them engaged? And some of these other things are a great way to do that. But because um, because I, I think that music, you know, that 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 center of, of understanding, that pitch center that we're talking about sort of developing at a young age, a lot of that develops at home, too, doesn't it? And, and, and that's where. As music educators, as much as we can research this and as much as we can try to adapt our music programs for this, um, we're not there in those early years. Um, you know, maybe households 20 years ago, 30 years ago had more music surrounding them. Uh, and to segue a little bit, like, I mean, was music a part of your home growing up? Uh, you know, not necessarily as a career, but was it surrounding you? 
Yeah, you know, my my parents weren't very musical, uh, you know, and I think that's always a big question. People always think, well, if you're a musical person, then it must be because your parents were right. (laughs) And um, it it was not because of that. But I I did have supportive parents that said, if you want to do this, we will find a way to help support that. And we came from a very, you know, modest home um, that money was was pretty tight so, you know, looking at some of these, um, getting an instrument, renting an instrument, that was something that that did put uh, a little pressure on the financial household situation. So I think there's that situation for a lot of folks. Um, I think, again, because, you know, when we look at society today, we've got so many different things to to engage with. We've got, uh, you know, all these tablets and phones and apps and, you know, all these things that. Uh, we didn't have those things growing up. So you would naturally have music in the home and families singing together, maybe around the holidays or, you know, we, we make it, my wife and I, every night we, we sing to our kids still. And I think that's something that used to happen that maybe doesn't happen anymore. Mm-hmm. So it, it was a musical household growing up, but only because of not having all these video games and things like that. And I think part of it um, and, you know, uh, this is not meant to be a religious comment or a non-religious comment, but, you know, our family went to church every Sunday and a big part of that church service was singing and having music. So for me, if we didn't do anything during the week, at least on Sundays, that's mm-hmm. where we would sing a lot, not only in the church service, but then, you know, Sunday school. And there'd always be a big music portion to that. So as a very small child, you know, for, for as far back as I can remember, I remember singing and being part of those those opportunities. And I think that's really where that uh, attachment to music began with the singing and just the feelings that that could emote and that you would could feel internally. Um, and that led to, you know, looking further into musical opportunities the, the rest of my life. So. Yeah, it, I think it's something that we should that, that there's a body of work to be done there. I think, you know, introducing this idea of, of, of um, you know, singing at a younger age, uh, at a very, very younger age. Um, and, and that will only help our band programs and our middle school programs when they're when they're starting to recruit in a number of years. Um, I was exactly like you. I, I started off uh, singing for for church every Sunday. Um, and then my, my granny would teach me, uh, as she'd call it, the dirty songs then yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, annoy, to, to annoy the rest of the family then. Uh, yes. Love it. <laughs> she, was a, she was a jazz singer and she'd teach me all sorts of songs to uh, annoy the rest of the family. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, so I had church and uh, I had church uh, uh, and my, my granny who was a jazz singer. That, that was my set. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> Hence me being a clarinet and saxophone player. I wanted to play trumpet like you. Uh, yeah. And she told me that I wasn't allowed. I was so going to have to play <laughs> clarinet and sax. <laughs> So, um, but, uh, speaking of your, 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 um, your start in music, uh, you you grew up in Indiana and, and speaking as an outsider, not only to Indiana, but to the U S I sort of look at the U S and see where all the, all the strong points of music education are. And of course, like Texas is, is its own thing. Um, but Indiana is very strong. Uh, Indiana seems to have a very, very strong culture of of band in particular. Anyway, it seems. Um, what is it about Indiana that that um, has has grown a, a, such a strong musical um, culture? Yeah, that, that's a really good question, and I I can't pinpoint it. Uh, you know, part of it is you don't know what you know until you you walk away from it, and then you actually see, wow, okay, Indiana was a really strong music state. 
And I would say, you know, like anything, I think, I think the organization um, of the music educators in that state is just significantly strong. Um, I'm not going to say it's stronger than other states per mm. se, but I think because of that strength in numbers, uh, there's importance. The importance of music education has been something that's been there for a long time, where sometimes we hear other states and other countries, they're, they're fighting for that to, to, to show that, hey, music makes a big difference. And this is why it should be not just an extracurricular, but it should be part of the core curriculum. Um, so for Indiana, so much of that has been established for a very long time. Um, and when I had the opportunity to teach in that state, that's where I really felt that that strength in numbers that, you know, there would be state level meetings. Um, there was a seat at the table when it become to uh, state policies, um, you know, both at the education level um, and then even at the district level in each of your local, uh, you know, administration levels that a lot of people would look at band, choir, orchestra and master schedules would be set up in the school day around those events because so many students were participating. So I, I think, you know, it's it's like everything in life. When when you establish a strong culture, it could be any content, but when you establish such a strong culture, it becomes part of your everyday life. It becomes part of our DNA. And I think whether people were musical or not, uh, people really re would respect that that level of musicianship and the opportunities provided. And they would look at music the same way that oftentimes people look at sports and like, right. oh, you know, if you're an athlete, oh, wow, you're, you're amazing. Well, they would look at musicians very much the same way because of the time commitment. Um, you know, we see so many more parallels. This is what I wish more people in our world would understand that the world of sports and the world of music in many ways is very similar. When we look at the time commitment, the practice, the dedication, the commitment, um, you know, all the events, we, we don't get as much money in terms of endorsements in music, <laughs> but it's certainly not. this isn't right. But, but when you look at that, I think a lot more folks do understand um, how parallel that can be. And so I think that's, that's, if I had to pinpoint it, Keith, I think that's the best answer I can give at this point. And I think they put a lot of emphasis on, you know, that student experience. So that's why the marching aspect of that is so strong there, because the state supports that in many different ways. There's a district level, a regional level, a semi-state level. And then you go to state if, you know, you're, you're doing really well. And they've done the same thing in the areas of jazz and choir uh, in orchestra and in the concert band setting as well. So I think because of that, there's just this natural strength that you see from the outside of, wow, that's a state that really, really values music education. Mm. It's, you know, it was a question I was going to come to later, but now's a good time to kind of address it, which is this idea of marching band and concert band and the ever, you know, the, the tension that can be there between those two activities sometimes. Um, and you mentioned that Indiana uh, is particularly strong for for marching band. Just towards the end of uh, of, of your your answer there, uh, and I wonder how much a strong marching band culture then lends to the growth of the uh, of a strong concert band. Texas is a great example. I mean, yep. people often point to Texas and say, "Why do they have such a strong strong music pro music culture there?" And and it's to do with the football. <laughs> And yeah. the football lends to the marching band and then the marching band lends to, you know, the concert bands and, and symphonic bands. And 
uh, and, and there's a natural progression there. But often, I think marching band can kind of be relegated, certainly elsewhere in the world, and maybe maybe not so much in the US because marching band is so much part of the the culture of the colleges and uh, drum corps is such a big thing. And yeah, uh, but but elsewhere in the world, and I know it, the debate exists in the US too, where marching band is almost secondary to the elite concert band or the symphonic band. Ha- has that been an experience that you've had in your life? That tension, and and if so. Um, sort of how has it how has it uh, raised its head over the years? Yeah, you know it's it's an interesting debate because does it exist? Absolutely, it does. Uh, why does it exist? I, I think um, you know this answer would probably be very different than if you would have asked me this you know ten even fifteen years ago. But but as we age, I think we we learn we learn more about ourselves and about our profession. So. Um, I think a lot of that has been uh, brought about to the surface even more so because of internal things in our own profession. Right. Um, Yeah. You know, that debate is taking place. It's not like the general public is like, oh, concert bands are better than marching bands. You know, (laughs) I don't think there's anything. No, a lot of the time the general public don't know about the concert band. band. Right. Right. So I think in some ways, and, and again, this, this is just stereotypical. So this is not every situation. So I don't want, you know, for, for listeners out there to be like, you jerk, I can't believe you said that. But, but I think there's this highbrow kind of lowbrow aspect. And, and in many ways, it can be compared to even uh, sometimes how we feel about symphony orchestras and the concert bands. Right. You know, playing high art the general sense is still that the symphony orchestra is still that truly elite ensemble. Um, So I I think from the marching band concert band perspective, I think so much of it has to do with our own philosophies and our own setup. Um, You know, at the university of Illinois, it's a prime example. We are under one umbrella. We are called the Illinois bands. The marching Illini is a part of that umbrella along with our variety of other concert bands. Um, and that's something that my colleagues and I believe very strongly in that we maintain that. We are finding more in the U.S., especially at the collegiate level, that we're starting to silo and separate these things out. And it all has to do with money and funding. Mm-hmm. Well, if I would move the marching Illini under athletics, maybe I'm going to get more money uh, because of the athletic revenue that comes in and more support. So there are many college marching bands here in the U.S. that are finding themselves in that situation, even though they are still taught by school of music faculty. Um, and, and in some cases, and in some cases, you're can now considered a staff member of the athletic department. Um, so we start to create this divide more and more when some of those things happen because it becomes a money budgetary thing mm-hmm. that the marching bands require more funding, as we know. And then concert band, sometimes we get a little jealous of that funding and wish we had that same funding to do what we want to do on the concert band side. Um, I think another facet is those leading marching bands. Are they keeping their feet both in, in, in both um, you know, worlds of doing marching band and concert band? Marching band is a big part of my job at Illinois but I still value that concert band experience of getting up on the podium and working with students to create something, you know, that is going to be excellent and a very different level of excellence than what we look at with the marching Illini. So I think there's that aspect as well of, I think more and more of our colleagues are making a choice, whether they have to or not, or it's their personal choice. 
that they are choosing just to do athletic bands. And that can be a very consuming job for sure. You can make that a full-time job all by itself or that they're trying to stay in both. And again, I, I wish and encourage more, more folks to, to stay in both worlds so we continue to strengthen bands overall as opposed to marching band and concert band. And then I think the other aspect is, as, as we all know, marching bands are very visual. Um, you know, to your point, marching bands are big in Texas because of football. Sometimes band folks, we forget to mention that part that a lot of times it's football. And same thing for us. You know, we would not exist at Illinois without Illinois football. Uh, I don't think the university would say, well, we're going to give you all this money just to exist and do things. Um, maybe because our history now, we could get away with that if they decided ever to get rid of football because of the things we get to do nationally and internationally. But if we were starting out, I don't think that support would be there. So, you know, to the point of the exposure, our marching bands have a lot of exposure. And this goes, you know, to that Indiana comment as well. So much of our programs can benefit from our marching bands being out there, being so visual and the general public who may not know anything about music or a little bit about music. They see that. And if it's something of excellence and something that gets people excited, that can be that first entryway into, well, if you like this, why don't you come experience something different? Mm -hmm. And when we can work together to support one another, you know, when, when my colleague, Steve Peterson, the director of bands at Illinois has a wind symphony concert, I'm sharing with my marching Illini students who are primarily not music majors. Hey, there's a concert coming up. It's a great concert. If you enjoy music, you need to go check this concert out. Um, so I think the more that we support one another, as opposed to try and tear each other down to try and jockey for, you know, different positions, I think we can start to see that gap close a little bit more. But again, Keith, it, it is something that is definitely there. And I think it's going to continue to get worse, unfortunately, unless we have, again, colleagues out there that are willing to stand for both. And there are. It's right. just we've got to get more of a voice in that and make sure that we're supporting one another. Otherwise, we're going to find that the concert band side of things is going to continue to deteriorate, which is going to also I mean, look at what the pandemic has done for all of us. You know, uh, anything large ensemble wise primarily has been locked down for this past year. Uh, that goes for our symphony orchestras as well and Broadway and so many other things. And, you know. We've got, we've got to realize, again, we're truly all in this together. And if we support one another, we're going to strengthen ourselves. If you have, you know, a specific focus on marching band or choral works or whatever the case may be, we, we've got to come together as a community and as a network. And I think that's been a benefit of the pandemic, that we've seen more collaboration than ever before. You know, that, that led to our, our introduction as well. And I, I just think it's, it's so important that we, we remember and find some comfort in how all of these bands were founded. And in many cases, you were talking 100, 150 years ago. These were founded by colleges that wanted to celebrate the existence of their college or by a town that wanted to celebrate its local temperance society or by a mining company in Wales that wanted to celebrate how great their coal company was. Like yeah. these these bands were the, the the band movement globally was founded on on the, to support local organizations. Yeah. They weren't necessarily founded to be an artistic on the artistic merit of 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 of, of, the, of of their own. 
And if we can find a little bit of comfort in that, I think we can have a huge amount of success. And that's where I think, you know, some of those really successful areas in in, in the world have found that success um, because they celebrate their marching band. Uh, You know, your marching band has such a huge audience um, at home and internationally. And and that's what brings people to your concert band and and an interest in you and and, and your music program. Um, And... uh, yeah, we're the marching band is it's big, it's loud, it's colorful. <laughs> it's the best advocation for your music program. It it really is. And I think, you know, just to reiterate it again, I think it's just so much of what we're both talking about here is if we embrace that, what that can do for our our music profession could just be exponential. Um, and, and what that can do, you know, even beyond the, I know this is centered on, on bands, but you know, what this does for the entire music program, that choral, the orchestral, uh, chamber music, all of those entities could strengthen greatly by, by embracing and supporting one another. And, um, unfortunately as, as a whole, I don't think we see that enough in our entire profession. So I hope, I hope, you know, optimistically speaking again, that, you know, this pandemic has allowed us to take some steps backwards and set ego aside and and really look at what we can do to make sure that music remains powerful, active, that it continues to elevate the human spirit in whatever genre or medium that we're presenting it in. And um, I think that's only going to make us make us all better people as well. Well, well, I don't often um, bring up that whole marching band, concert band debate too much. So hopefully I haven't uh, scared off any of my concert band Puritans that listen to, the, <laughs> listen to the podcast. Or maybe, you know what, maybe we've convinced them a little bit. You know, maybe maybe yeah. there's that too. Um, but let's let's talk a little bit more about your, your origin then. So what was your, the, the band started in your second year. And it was like it was a new band locally for, for you at that point? Growing up? Yeah. Yeah, so um, that was that would have been fifth grade, fifth grade, and so um, I actually moved schools at that same time. Um, so when I when I moved from violin to trumpet, I was impacting a new set of students and teachers at that point. So whether good or bad, again. Um, uh, so that that was quite an experience and it was a great way to connect and make some new friendships along the way too. you know, anytime you make that move, uh, that can always be a difficult thing. But that was a great thing for for me, be able to, for me to be able to do and to network with new new students and so forth. Um, but at the same time, still still playing sports. So trying to find that balance. And so that was an interesting part, which who knew I never had any any goal of, you know, didn't know I was going to teach at the collegiate level. And here we are at the collegiate level, merging music and sports together. So it's kind of <laughs> ironic in the, in the scope of things, how this has all worked out. So along um, the journey, Barry, where, when did you realize that this was going to be something that you wanted to do as a career? Uh, not necessarily at, 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 a, at a college band level, yeah. but, but when did you realize, okay, music's it. Uh, I'm not going to be that baseball player or whatever, whatever the sport yeah, was. Yeah. It, yeah. And I know, yeah, the false dreams that we have growing up, right? I'm going to be a professional baseball player. I'm like, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> uh, you know, it was interesting. A, another life thing that happened, line drive to third base playing baseball and it broke my femur. Um, and I was out from playing baseball. And, you know, uh, that that was crushing. But at the same time, it wasn't as crushing as it could be because I had music. 
And so music started to fill that void where baseball used to be. And I was doing, you know, all the choral groups and anything in band, jazz band, pep band, marching band, concert band. And so I realized um, I had always wanted to go to law school. I was very close to Notre Dame. I uh, grew up 15 minutes away from the campus of University of Notre Dame. So, um, you know, the plan was to go to Notre Dame, uh, major in pre-law, go to law school, become a lawyer, become a judge, and probably get into politics. So the only thing that came true out of that is I'm involved with politics all the time, based at the university <laughs> level. But <laughs> so, Listen, any good band director is right, also a good right, politician. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. You're not politics, you're not doing the job. Yeah. <laughs> um, so senior year is the year where that really hit. And my band director pulled me aside and said, you, you realized you could make a profession out of this, right? And I don't know why I didn't necessarily realize that before. He saw something that I was so involved with all the musical things. And so that's where the, the light switch, you know, turned on. And then I started my journey actually in musical theater to begin. And I did that for two years while still trying to pursue a music education degree. And those two worlds were very different, but similar and just was a lot. Um, mm. So my theater director actually pulled me aside and said, hey, you need to make a choice. And I think because he was the one that made me make that choice, I chose the other. If it would have been music <laughs> education, I said, you need to make a choice. I probably would have stuck with musical theater. Uh, I don't know what that says about me as a person, but that we'll leave that for another conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so with the music education route and, you know, the rest is really history. I haven't looked mm. back since. And um, uh, it's it's been an amazing journey. Um, never anticipated teaching at the collegiate level. Uh, I so went tell to me the, a little bit about that, Barry. Yeah. So you yeah. You, you taught in a number of, of high schools first. And I'm always interested to to because um, we just have bands, you know, yeah. and, and my eight year olds are in the same band as my 80 year olds. Yes. <laughs> And so to, to have sort of a, a very specific band in mind that you are comfortable with and and, want, and feel passionate about, like at middle school, there's amazing middle school teachers out there yeah. that that's what they are brilliant at. at. High school, the same. College, the same. What what sort of decisions did you, um, uh, what, what, what factors um, uh, were you considering when making that decision to move from high school to college? Yeah. I think a big part of that goes back to, you know, I did my undergrad at the University of Florida. So I got completely away from the Midwest. Uh, brand new experience, again, exposed to a lot of new people, a lot of challenges, a lot of life happened. Um, that opportunity led to a great student teaching experience with with two, two ladies that had been teaching longer than I had been alive at that point. And I learned so much from them. And that was all high school oriented. Um, so really got the itch right there, just from teaching there of, um, you know, with my student teaching experience there that led to a job that they created at that school. So I got to continue to teach where I learned how to do this thing and really enjoyed that. Well, then I realized family was back in Indiana and there were some family things that took place. So it was time to get back home closer to family. Um, and when I made the move back to Indiana, where I grew up, Keith, I was teaching in five buildings every day, three elementary schools, a middle school and a high school. Um, let me tell you, as you can imagine, what I learned in uh, almost seven to eight years of being in that job was, uh, again, just a foundation that I still am, am living on today. 
and very much the reason why I am where I am. Um, I love that job, but boy, you know, I was traveling between two different towns uh, with the three elementary schools. Um, and, you know, there's just a special place for for our music education friends that teach elementary and middle yeah. school students. And I enjoyed every bit of it. Um, middle school probably was my least favorite. <laughs> um, I just did not have the patience there. So again, oh my gosh, there's a special place for all those middle school teachers out there that are just brilliant. I think they're fixing embouchures and fixing fingers yes, and-, <laughs> and just fixing snotty noses and, you know, <laughs> attitudes and egos and things like that as, you know, mm-hmm. you get into things and you're willing to learn. And then at the end of the year, like I'm too cool for band now. And so, you know, <laughs> All of these things really contributed a lot to, to again, what I'm doing today. And so I got a call from the University of Illinois saying, hey, we would love for you to come do your graduate work with us. Um, Jim Keen is going to be retiring. And so this is going to be your last chance to study with him. Um, so I left really what I consider to be a dream job because I loved every bit of it, but knew I had to pursue some graduate work. I had been teaching in the public schools almost 10 years at that time without doing any any master's work. And here in the States, I don't know how it is in Ireland, but when you know look at the scope of things, it's like three to five years. And if you're not moving on to that next level, it's like you need to be something's wrong with you. So I was already something was wrong with me, but we knew that a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> so did graduate work and loved every bit there at the University of Illinois. And then a job opening took place at Eastern Illinois. A national search had failed. Uh, we host our summer camps at Eastern Illinois. It's 45 minutes away from our campus. And um, they called and said, hey, we want to we want to offer you the job. And I said, oh, my, I, I don't know if I want to teach at the collegiate level. <laughs> I, I wanted to get back and and teach high school again. Mm. Um, but long story short, jumped on that opportunity again, loved every minute of it. It was fantastic. And we we were able to move into a brand new facility and work with some amazing students. And it just, it really showed that collegiate teaching, may, maybe this, maybe this is where I'm supposed to be, that you can share your, uh, this is not an ego statement by any means, because I'm still learning every day and learning what I really don't know in music every day is probably more the pressing thing. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I learned that you could pass your knowledge on to these students that were looking to do the same thing that I did and some that maybe had some hardships along the way that you could encourage and inspire. And I really found some great satisfaction in that from just, you know, the personal side, but then professionally being able to help others. And it kind of goes back to those early years of wanting to be a lawyer and a judge to, to help people. It wasn't law that I was able to do that with, but music education was the vehicle. And, you know, taught for three years there. University of Illinois uh, opened up and they called and they said, hey, you you did some great things here. We would love to have you take this position if you're interested. And uh, so we went through a national search and was able to win that position. And here we are. This is my 10th year now. 10 years. Wow. Yeah. And I've been teaching in the in teaching overall for about 21 years at this point between public school and collegiate level teaching. So, yeah, it's it's been an amazing journey and uh, extremely grateful to so many for uh, helping me get where I am. And that's, you know, many of my students as well. Well, well, tell me a little bit about what the last 12 months have been like then you, you say you've been 10 years there the the, the tent was a special one <laughs> um 
has the university uh, been meeting in person at all? So like, like many, <clears throat> it's been a hybrid type experience. Um, our students have the choice if they want to learn, you know, through Zoom and attend class virtually. Um, or if they want to meet in person, we have a number of classes that are in person. Um, in the fall, it was very limited in terms of the course offerings in person. Um, in the spring, more things have opened up. Uh, we've been very fortunate at Illinois. We had a saliva-based testing system that was created on our campus early on. So all of our students, faculty, and staff have to uh, take the saliva test twice a week. And based on that uh, result, if you have a negative test result, it coincides with an app that you show to get into any buildings on campus just to keep everybody safe. So as you look at the scope of that, it, the, the mitigations provided have been pretty extravagant um, to do what we do, but we're very fortunate again because there's been just some leading research on our university that has allowed us to meet in person. Um, so, you know, in the scope of things, no large ensembles, our largest ensembles have been um, groups of 20 or less. Yeah. And when you're dealing with the, you know, marching Illini of almost 400 people, uh, we met on Zoom this entire fall. Um, bands weren't allowed to perform at, to be in stadiums, uh, to be at football games, to do anything really in person. So it didn't make sense for us to meet in person. Um, and still with so much not being known back in the fall, uh, we, we took the safe route and just continued to engage with our students. And now as we see and have learned so much more about the, the research and the science, especially with the aerosol studies that, you know, we've all benefited from. Uh, that has helped tremendously as we look at a return to in-person, you know, this fall. And that's that's completely our plan. So we're very fortunate that we have had these opportunities on our campus. What does a marching band do on Zoom? <laughs> that's, that's such a good question. I, I don't know. You know, this may be a question for my students because I don't know if we did anything on Zoom. But you know, <laughs> the plan was to, to do a number of things that we've never been able really to do because of the, the schedule. You know, the schedule is always so busy if you're learning a different halftime show. We do a different show for every football game. So you're either learning brand new drill and brand new music and you have an hour and then it's raining. So now you can't do this or it's snowing. And so, you know, you're, you're dealing with those things, but you know, we, we taught marching fundamentals on zoom. Uh, we were able to do that. Um, we all know that the latency with so many platforms was just a mess. So we couldn't do anything playing wise collectively on zoom but we did find some ways that our student leaders, we spent a lot of time working with them and they would play a musical passage. Everyone else would be on mute and then they would play on their own wherever they were meeting from, either outside um, or in their apartment or in their dorms. And so that's how we did that. We don't know what any of our students sounded like, but they could at least hear what that model phrase should sound like. So we were able to do a couple things, musically speaking, with what we traditionally do. We talked so, a lot about leadership. Talking about, music, talking about music fundamentals or marching yeah. fundamentals, uh, Barry, I, I've spoken to quite a few people in the drum corps community that found 
that teaching marching fundamentals online, there was some benefits to it. There was actually a lot of pros to it. And this is something that they may, you know, introduce into their programs moving forward. Did you find that? Was there was there many pros to teaching online for marching for, for, for marching fundamentals? And actually just a wider than that, was did you find anything over the last 12 months that you'd like to use moving forward? Yeah, I think, you know, the whole theme of this time has been reimagined, right? You know, let's not look mm. at what we can't do. Let's look at what we can do. Let's not change what we're teaching. Let's look at how we can do that. And and then also put everything that we're doing under the microscope. Why are we doing this or why have we been doing it this way? So, yeah, there, there have been tremendous benefits to, to doing this. I mean, when we're talking with a group of almost 400 individuals, when you're in person, you know, you have to have a, a major staff of individuals to correct so many things. And what we were able to do on Zoom, we were able to see so many more individuals that we could focus in on that. And because we weren't worried about learning and performing and things like that, I, I should say performing, we were learning, at least I hope we were, but the performance aspect, we weren't worried about that. We were able to take more time and give individual feedback that we weren't able to do, you know, other than maybe a quick five second passing in person. So I think it was much more thorough. Uh, there were some things even musically, you know, submitting a music video of you performing uh, whatever piece was at at, ta at the task. Those things made a tremendous difference. And there's some things that we're going to look at sticking with. Like I think a lot of us have have discovered you know, everyone keeps saying, well, I never want to meet on another Zoom or anything again. But I think we're going to see some things are going to stick around because we did find some efficiency and mm -hmm. some more thoroughness with what we've been able to do. So I think that's a big part of it. And, um, you know, some of the other things that we did, leadership, we met with alumni uh, for alumni networking, which we've never been able to do other than homecoming. So if you're looking at a pre-med track, we had, you know, uh, medical doctors that were part of the marching Illini that met with our pre-med students and same thing, you know, whatever cool. uh, career. So there were some really cool engagement opportunities. Um, we talked a lot. It's part of our culture, but we kind of say it and then we move on. Uh, we talked a lot about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And what can we do as an ensemble to be more welcoming, to be more inclusive? And so when students are out there looking at the University of Illinois, are they finding somebody in our ensemble that looks like them? And if not, what can we do to open up that gate to make sure that students, um, students again, find a way to, to make it into the ensemble and they feel comfortable in that space? So we had some really, you know, difficult conversations, but we would never have been able to do that if it right. weren't for the pandemic. So I think a lot of positives have come out of this and are still coming out of this. Did, was there anything that you tried over the last 12 months? I know myself, uh, I've changed the way that I teach in the last year six or seven times <laughs> uh, because I tried something that just didn't work and I was like, I'm never going to try that again. <laughs> was there any strategy that you tried um, and then said, that's not that's not something that's going to work for me, at least anyway? Was, was there anything like that over the last 12 months? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I don't know. I think to... To what, exactly what you said, Keith, and I think to music educators or just teachers out there in general, I, I think we've been pushed out of our comfort zone more so this year than ever before. And it has often felt like it, it's been depressing. 
Um, it's been sometimes very difficult to wake up in the morning and think about, oh my gosh, look what I get to do. It feels like, oh my gosh, look what I have to do. And am I being impactful? Um, am I, am I getting through to the students at all? Um, are we going to see again, a screen of zoom, you know, a zoom panels where the phones are turned off. And (laughs) so, yeah, I, I think, you know, specifically this past fall, there were some things that I, I taught conducting in person with our undergrads, but because of the makeup of the class and still the uncertainty of some things, we did not have a live ensemble um, because of some of the aerosol emissions that we were concerned about. And um, in, in our normal conducting curriculum, we always have a live ensemble to give that feedback of what you're doing really matters up there on the podium. And so we did audio recordings for everything throughout the entire semester. And it was the smart decision for what we, what we were given concerning the pandemic. But for the curriculum, it was the worst thing. So uh, I'm teaching in person again this semester. And so we're finding a mix, which has been phenomenal, which I've not done before. So we're having the live ensemble, but there are going to be some audio uh, recordings that we're using along the way. And this has just changed. I know it doesn't sound like a big deal, but for our students' experience, it has been tremendous in terms of their response to this, of getting the live ensemble experience, but then having some things to work on at home that are going to be, I can now focus on conducting technique with an Mm -hmm. audio recording, not having to worry about what the ensemble is going to sound or, or how they react to things. So now that we're getting back to some sort of normality, um, what have you missed the most over the last year? But before you answer that question, what have you not missed over the last year? (laughs) Um, I think more, more folks have been maybe a little more strategic with the number of meetings that they've scheduled. Um, And if they have scheduled meetings, it's been okay because you're on zoom and uh, you can unmute yourself or you can turn the volume down or you can turn your camera off. You know, if it's a faculty meeting, <laughs> you, you can, uh, I'll just leave that out there. If it's a faculty meeting, you have more choices than if you're in person. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> the, and what, what have you missed the most then? Oh boy, I have missed, I have missed our students. I have missed our students a great deal. Um, I think, you know, in in the musical sense specifically, we have found out that um, music is the one place we we can't necessarily do on a virtual platform. Um, And so I think more administrators have understood that, that you can't make music. You're not going to be able to create some of these things that you're used to seeing in our communities through Zoom in the same way that we have. So I've really missed that that personal interaction with them. Um, But again, kind of going back to, again, the previous question, because of this, and I'm sure the same can be said about you, I've been able to spend more time with my family over this past year than ever before. Um, And my kids are still pretty young. I've got an eight-year-old and a, or seven-year-old and a nine-year-old, almost eight. And, you know, we've spent more time together as a family. We've had more family dinners than ever before. Usually my teaching schedule is over the dinner time when we're in person. So, I don't see, I see them in the morning, I take them to school. And then that's usually the extent uh, on the weekdays. So I have really loved seeing my family. And I think this is hopefully going to be a new template for moving forward, uh, that I can spend more time with them. But yeah, certainly uh, the student interaction, uh, that's been something I've missed, missed a great deal. 
Well, Barry, thank you so much um, for taking the time out. Um, it's it's early in the morning for you. You've got a, a whole day ahead of you. Um, and so I do appreciate you uh, taking this hour this morning. Um, if people would like to find out more about the Marching Illinois and uh, about the university uh, and about Barry Helzer, where, where can they go? Yeah, uh, if they want to find us on social media, that may be the easiest. Anything on Marching Illini, if you just do a search. Um, same thing for, for myself, Barry Hauser. There's contact uh, information there. Um, even if you just go to marchingillini.com, uh, there's some contact information there or the University of Illinois School of Music. All of our contact information is there as well. And we'd be happy to hear from, from colleagues and listeners around the, around the world. And certainly, Keith, I thank you for this opportunity. And again, for all that you're doing for so many. And uh, I really hope uh, in 2022, if not before, that we get to meet in person. And I hope, again, all the listeners out there that they come and check out the many bands that are going to be part of this year, this year's St. Patrick's Festival in 2022. Drinks are on me, Barry. Thank you. Love it. Love it. Thank you. Well, thank you so much to Barry for joining me on this week's show. Next week, we're heading to Malaysia, where we'll be talking to Wilson Tan of the St. Teresa's School Concert Band and Wamsby Malaysia. So head to wherever you get your podcasts and make sure you subscribe. In the meantime, you can stay up to date with me on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Global Bandroom and on our website, globalbandroom.com. So until next time... Stay safe, and I'll see you in the band room.